0: So this morning, I'm almost done with Moses. Next week, we want to look at chapter 34, uh, the death of Moses. And then I will be done with that series this morning in Deuteronomy 33, verses 26 to 29. um, We're going to look at, and Moses has spent the better part of chapter 33, blessing the Israelites... Before he passes off the scene, he knows that he is about to die. And by the way, there's an outline, if you're a visitor, in your bulletin. There are printed messages at all the exits. Um, They have a blue cover. Uh, Well, I don't see any at that exit, but you should find them at the other two exits if you want to follow along on the uh, manuscript. And um, all of those are on the church website as well. So reading in Deuteronomy 33:26, 26, There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help, and through the skies in His majesty, the eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He drove out the enemy from before you and said, Destroy so Israel dwells in security. The fountain of Jacob is secluded in a land of grain and new wine. His heavens also drop down dew. Blessed are you, O Israel. Who is like you a people excuse <clears> me, <throat> saved by the Lord? Who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty? So your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread upon their high places. I want to talk today about knowing the God of Moses. Dr. J.I. Packer begins his classic book, Knowing God, by a lengthy quote from a sermon that Charles Haddon Spurgeon gave back in the mid-1800s. Spurgeon did what you probably would not want to imitate, Spurgeon got saved at age 15, and he became a pastor at age 17, and he went strong until he dropped dead at age 57. Uh, remarkable man, remarkable ministry. But when he was 20, he delivered this sermon in which he said, It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. And then Packer goes on and quotes three more paragraphs from that sermon, and then he raises the possible objection that someone might say, Packer wrote in 1972, he said, perhaps someone in this generation would say, well, yeah, back in Spurgeon's day, you know, a little more than a hundred years ago, they were interested in theology, but today, people find theology boring or irrelevant. Dr. Packer counters that by saying that the study of the nature and character of God, he says, is the most practical um, project anyone can engage in. Knowing about God, Packer argues, is crucially important for the living of our lives. And so, as we get toward the end of our study of the life of Moses, I thought it was would be good to go back and kind of do a sweeping survey as a way of reviewing his life, uh, and then hone in on these verses at the end of his life to show what Moses knew about the God whom he served. You know, if you've ever been around a godly old man... You just want to kind of sit and drink in from his spirit. Uh, you know, a man who's maybe walked with God for decades and you, you want to find out what does he know about God? And so here we have that from Moses. Uh, Moses has walked with God. He's nearly 120 years old. He has seen God do things that very few people ever saw God do. And so here he is glorying in God and he's glorying in God's people and the future that God has for them. And the message that I want to bring is that knowing God as he has revealed himself and making God known should be the quest of our lives. The Bible says that God gives eternal life to all who believe in Jesus, you probably know John 3:16. Whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. But then the question is, what does that mean? Is that just kind of life with the end knocked out, you know, that goes on and on and on and on? Well, hopefully it's more than that. And if you want to know the essence of eternal life, Jesus tells us in John 17:3 when he says, "This is eternal life." that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so knowing the only true God and His eternal Son, whom He sent to redeem us from our sins, that's the core, that's the heart, the essence of eternal life. And it will go on forever because God is eternal. And God is infinite. And so throughout the ages we will be learning more and more and more about who he is, about the surpassing riches of his grace. Now, from Moses' long life as God's leader and prophet, we learn, first of all, that knowing God is a lifelong quest that requires seeking God in every situation. Um, It begins, knowing God begins, when he first opens your blind eyes To see your need for the Savior and to see Jesus Christ as the only all-sufficient Savior. The Bible teaches that because of Adam and Eve's sin, we all are born in sin. We are born alienated from God who is holy. The problem is most people who are in that condition don't even know they're in that condition. They're like fish in water saying, what? We're wet? We didn't know that. Uh, people who are lost think, well, you know, I know I've got my faults. Sure. And I know I've messed up time and again here and there, but so does everyone. But I'm not a really terrible sinner. I'm, I'm, I'm a basically good person. And God is loving. And so when I stand before Him someday, He's going to overlook my faults. And, and because He is love, He's going to accept me into His presence. And... Everything will be fine. That's the worst lie you could believe. To be saved, first of all, God has to open your eyes to say, I'm lost. I am alienated from God who is perfectly holy, and there's nothing I can do to get free of my sin and stand in the presence of this holy, holy, holy Lord and be accepted. Because my sins are many. And He is perfect. And so, first of all, the Spirit of God is to come. And He convinces you concerning sin. Concerning God's righteousness. Concerning the coming judgment. And you realize, I'm lost. I'm lost. And then, one glorious day, God opens your eyes where you see in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4, four the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And you realize that He is the only Savior. And at that moment, God grants you the faith to believe in Jesus as the one who came and paid the penalty for your sin. And you trust in His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. And at that moment... You enter into a personal relationship with the eternal, holy God through Christ and His shed blood. And that is the beginning of eternal life. It starts there, goes on forever, and deepens, but that's where it begins. Now the question here is, well, when did Moses come to faith in Christ? And we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. You remember the story, as an infant, Pharaoh decreed the death of all the Hebrew baby boys. His mother, to save him, put him in a little basket in the Nile River there on the shore in the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe and saw him and took pity on him and adopted him as her own son. And so Moses grew up in all the splendor of Pharaoh's palace. And um, we're not told how much contact he had with his birth parents during that time of his growing up. But the book of Hebrews tells us something significant about Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 27 says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin And then it says, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And you ask, well, how can you see him who is unseen? And the answer the Bible gives is, when he reveals himself to you. God has to open your eyes. He has to reveal himself to you. And so we can conclude that sometime in Moses' life, between zero and probably age 40, when he went out and and saw the way that the uh, Egyptians were um, torturing the Hebrews, the slaves, and he killed that Egyptian taskmaster, sometime in there... God must have revealed enough of himself and of what he was going to do in bringing the Messiah, Jesus, that Moses realized that's the real treasure. Pharaoh and his court and all of this splendor that I'm living in is junk. And so, like the man, remember the parable Jesus told about the man who found the treasure in the field... And over joy for finding that treasure, he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. And Moses did that. He counted the uh, reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So he traded all that in, all that junk, and he gained Christ. Now, I want to ask the most important question I'm going to ask in this message. So please listen. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you seen Jesus in His glory? What He did for you on the cross? You've seen your own sin. And the sin includes good works. Believing in your good works. And you've said like Paul, I count all that as rubbish that I might gain Christ. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Now, I grant, at first, you barely know Him. You don't know what you got into. God, God reveals that progressively. And I, as I said, throughout eternity, you'll, you'll come to know more and more and more. That was the best deal I ever made. I traded all of my self-righteousness, all of my sin, everything that was of me, that went in the trash. I gained eternal life as a free gift through Jesus Christ. And now I have a relationship with Him. So that's the beginning point of a lifetime and an eternity of knowing God. Then, knowing God continues as God reveals Himself to you through His Word. Now, <clears throat> what Bible did Moses have? Answer, No Bible, because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So he didn't have a Bible. This is way back in history. And so God revealed himself to Moses directly. Uh, We don't know how much Moses knew about God before the burning bush. We know that he saw something of the riches of Christ and traded all of the junk of Egypt in. But at the burning bush, Moses came to know that God is holy. Remember, God said, take your sandals off, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. And he was afraid to even look at at the image of the Lord there in that burning bush. And God there revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh, the one who says, I am who I am. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He revealed himself there as the eternal self-existent one. And he told Moses, I've seen the affliction of my people and I care about them. And I'm going to send you to deliver them. And when Moses protested, God revealed himself as being more powerful than the most powerful monarch on the face of the earth. Pharaoh would be nothing to God. God said, I'm going to harden his heart. And I'm going to bring these plagues And, of course, the final plague even included the death of Egypt's firstborn. Moses learned that God is the God who demands absolute obedience. And we know from our study that God revealed himself to Moses face to face. Even Aaron, Moses' brother, and Miriam, his sister, when they challenged Moses' leadership, God corrected them and said, "Uh, you need to get it clear. I reveal myself to Moses face-to-face. I don't do that with anyone else. So he knew God in this intimate way that even Aaron and Miriam did not. Now maybe you wonder, well, does God reveal himself directly to people today? And I believe the answer to that is, he does that in some situations where people do not have the written word of God. We hear many reports of people in Muslim lands, especially today, who are seeing dreams and visions of Jesus, and they come to faith. Some of them pay for that faith with their lives as martyrs. So God can do that, but that's not His normal mode. His normal mode of revealing Himself is through His Word, the Bible, and what it tells us about Jesus Christ. I will say that even if a person comes to saving faith through a dream or a vision or something... He will not grow in faith unless he gets a copy of the Word of God that he can understand in his language. That's how God communicates with us mainly today through the Spirit of God, opening our eyes to the truth of the Word of God. Now later, God directed Moses, as we've seen, to lead Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea over to Mount Sinai, Moses went up on that mountain, and for forty miraculous days without food or water, he met with God. It must have been an an incomparable experience. And God gave him the Ten Commandments and revealed other laws for his people. <clears throat> then, after the incident with the golden calf, Moses went back up on the mountain, and he got a little bolder. Now, this is after forty days of being in God's presence. Okay. And Moses says, I pray you, show me your glory. You're going, what? <laughs> what have you been doing for 40 days, Moses? But he says, no, show me your glory. I haven't had enough yet. And God responded. Exodus 33, 19 and 20. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. His name represents all that God is. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And then God says, here's what I'll do, Moses. This is a mysterious part of God's word. But he says, I'm going to hide you in the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand and I'm going to pass by and you won't see my face, but you'll get a glimpse of my back. And so God does that. And here's what God proclaims as He passes by Moses, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin, yet... He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. And that profound self-revelation of God to Moses, which we now have in God's Word, is repeated no less than seven other times in the Old Testament. It's kind of the, the vision of God. That lays the foundation for everything else. And then, through the detailed instructions about how to build the tabernacle, the sacrifices and offerings, the feasts, how the priests are to function, all of that, God revealed more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ to Moses. And if you say, well, wait a minute, how do you know Moses saw Christ in all of that. Well, I know it because in John chapter 5, Jesus is debating with some Jewish leaders who were rejecting him. And he says this in verses 45 and 46. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. Then listen to this. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Do you know that? Moses wrote about Jesus. And yet the sad fact is I talk to Christians all the time and find out they've never once read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Oh, the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, we're New Testament believers. You know what Paul said? Romans 15:4 For whatever was written in earlier times, he's talking about the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. He also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, For all Scripture is inspired, that means breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And by all Scripture, Paul was talking about the Old Testament. It's there for our profit, our benefit. I preached a sermon on Romans 15.4 on why you need the Old Testament. If you missed that one, you might want to listen to it. And then on the Emmaus Road, <clears throat> there's that wonderful story in Luke 24. Jesus resurrected, caught up to two of the disciples who were going home dejected because Jesus had died. And there were just rumors circulating now about his resurrection. And so he, he is going home, or I mean walking with them to their home, and um, we read these wonderful words. I wish I had been there. Luke 24:27 then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures what a seminary education that would have been and then later that chapter before he ascends into heaven he says to the disciples in Luke 24:44 these are my words which i spoke while i was to you while i was still with you That all the things which are written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, you have to understand, the Hebrews divided the Bible, the Jews, into three main sections. The Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms. Those were the headings. So what Jesus is saying there is, all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in me. All of the Old Testament points ahead to me. And so if you're only a New Testament Christian, or you only read your favorite Old Testament, you know, Psalm 23 or a couple other passages, I'm going to say you're a deprived Christian. You're missing out. Now you say, wow, it's hard, you know, to read through it. Well, I'll speak more to that in just a few moments. But the point is, read and reread and re re read uh, the Old Testament and the New, the entire Bible. That is God's primary way He reveals Himself to us today. And then, <clears throat> note also that knowing God deepens as you trust and obey Him in the various trials that come into your life. Deepening your knowledge of God. before you pray, Lord, deepen my knowledge of you, you need to understand the fine print. It is not easy. (laughs) And I think any believer here who has been a Christian for some time will say this, I have come to know the Lord more deeply through the trials in my life than any other way. It's just how it happens. You know why? I mean, you're bouncing along, normal week, are you trusting God? Well, yeah, sort of. But you don't have to, do you? You know, the week's just running along. And then wham, <clears throat> something hits. Health problem, financial crisis, problem with your kids, uh, the death of a loved one. Some, something hits. What do you do? Oh, God, help. i got to trust you. <laughs> i got to trust you like I've never trusted you before. And you come to know God more deeply in those difficult times. And throughout Moses' life, we've seen him encountering God in times of crisis, in times of trial. Remember, God said to him, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Amen. You're God, I'll do it. He goes says, let my people go. And Pharaoh laughs, hearty har har Are you kidding me? Get out of here. And he says, meanwhile, I'm going to make their work harder. So before the Egyptians gathered the straw, now all the Jews have to gather the straw to make their bricks and the same quota. And they couldn't do it. So they got beaten. And they come back to Moses, and they are ticked off, saying, what did you do? You made our work harder, not better. And what did Moses do? Moses went back to the Lord, as he always did. And he poured out his complaint to the Lord. In Exodus 5, 22 and 23, he says, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Have you ever prayed anything close to that when you've been in a trial? especially those first word, why? God, why? Why? Well, you keep reading in Exodus 6, the Lord goes on and uh, he reveals more to Moses. He says, you're going to see more of my power by how I'm at work here, namely the plagues and then the departing of the Red Sea and the manna and all the other things that Moses saw. But all those came out of crisis. All of those came out of trial. And then God went on and He revealed more to Moses about His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and um, how that He was going to bring Israel out of bondage so that His people then would um, go into the promised land that He had promised them. And so what I'm getting at is Moses went to the Lord in prayer. God revealed more of himself to Moses, more of his promise to Moses. Moses grew in faith. Moses saw God work in ways he wouldn't have if he hadn't been in crisis. And then throughout the narrative, we've seen how whenever a crisis hit, Moses would go in the presence of the Lord and meet with God face to face. Now there was one glaring exception in Moses' career that we saw when God told him to speak to the rock and it would bring forth water. And in anger at the people, Moses struck the rock and because of that, God said, you're not going to be the one to lead my people into the promised land. But you know, even through that sin, Moses in a deeper way came to know that God is holy. Now, Jesus told us in the New Testament how we can know more of him. He said in John 14:21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, notice this, and I will disclose myself to him. So first you have to have his commandments. You get those out of the word. And then you have to keep his commandments. And Jesus promises progressively to reveal himself to you. Now maybe you're thinking, well, what if I disobey? Well, I want to say this very carefully, but even if you disobey, if you turn back to the Lord in repentance, you will know more about God. I I think that's really true. I'm not saying that so you go out and sin more, so you can learn more about God. You understand that. But when you do, and we all do, turn back to the Lord and you'll know more about His grace, His love, His forgiveness, His care for you, the way He will restore you. You'll know more about His holiness. You'll know more about the fact that he disciplines those he loves. All of that will happen when you turn back to him. Peter, I'm sure, knew more about the Lord after he he denied the Lord. And then the Lord said, Peter, do you love me? Three times to restore him. Now so far, all of this message has just been a review of the life of Moses from what we've seen over the last 30 some weeks. Uh, Now, I just briefly want to survey our text that I read in Deuteronomy 33, and it shows us that a mature knowledge of God over a lifetime gives you a spiritual legacy to pass on to the next generation. Moses didn't keep his knowledge of God to himself, thankfully. He wrote it down, and we have it in front of us in the Pentateuch and in Psalm 90, which Moses penned. And following his example, if God has revealed more and more of himself to you, don't bottle it up. There's a whole generation out there needs to know what you know. So tell them, take them out for coffee or meet with them in a small group study or something and pass on what God has graciously shown you in his word about himself. I can just kind of hit these as bullet points here. First of all, the God of Moses is like none other. The God of Moses is like none other, verse 26. There is none like the God of Jeshurun. He is the only living and true God. Uh, Secondly, the God of Moses is the God of the upright. Jeshurun means upright one. And it means that the only living and true God is the God of people who are growing in holiness. They are to be upright. They are to be obedient. Uh, The God of Moses also has unlimited power to help His people. Verse 26, He rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in His majesty. And that points to His omnipotence, that He is all-powerful. The God of Moses is the eternal God, we read in, um, where is that, verse 27, the eternal God. And Moses develops that in Psalm 90, if you're not familiar with that wonderful psalm. It contrasts God's eternality with our transitory nature. Also, uh, he is a dwelling place for his people, same verse. And Moses develops that theme in Psalm 90. And so we who know God can flee to him as a refuge, as a dwelling place in any crisis, any situation, and find comfort and protection. The God of Moses defends and supports his people. Verse 27 says, underneath are the everlasting arms. I love that. Uh, When I grew up as a boy, we used to sing a hymn in church, which has kind of fallen by the wayside, sadly. Leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Do you remember that great song? Maybe some of the college kids can put it in a little more modern tune. And we can sing that someday. But uh, leaning, leaning on Jesus, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on the everlasting arms. And that just means this. His arms are under you no matter how low you go. You say, well, I fell. Guess what? His arms are under you. His arms are there if you're His child. And He's carrying you. And so we have that comfort. And then the God of Moses causes His people to dwell securely. And in verse 27, He mentions that Israel's future is going to involve some battles. They're going into the land. They're facing enemies in the land. But they're going to dwell securely, He says in verse 28, because of God's presence and God's help. And then finally, the God of Moses saves and blesses His chosen people. Verse 29, Blessed are you, O Israel... Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, who is the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty? And God saves, He chooses, and He saves His people for His glory and their happiness. And so, knowing God is this lifelong quest that begins when you trust in Jesus Christ, and then you seek Him in every situation. And you go deeper with Him when you trust Him in the crises of life. And a mature knowledge of God over a lifetime then gives you a legacy that you can hand off to the next generation. Finally, note that we can effectively make the knowledge of God known only to the extent that we're happy or blessed in Him. Uh, There are several of the modern versions, the ESV and I think the New King James, maybe some others, that translate verse 29. Happy are you, O Israel. John Piper often puts it this way. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. That makes sense, doesn't it? When we are satisfied in Him, we glorify Him. And when we are caught up with the beauty of Jesus, it's going to spill out on others. If you're not happy and satisfied in God, keep your mouth quiet that you're a Christian. You know? Everybody's going to say, I don't think I want to follow that guy. Man, he's miserable. You know? But if you are doing what I said in a recent sermon, I was citing George Mueller who said, make it the first business of every day to find happiness in the Lord. Go before the Lord. Think about where you would be without Christ. Think about what Christ did for you on the cross. And your soul will well up with happiness. And C.H. Spurgeon observed, for Christians to be happy is one of the surest ways to set them seeking the salvation of others. Have you ever been out at the Grand Canyon, maybe, and you're standing there by yourself. You don't have your mate or a friend with you. And it is so majestic. And there's a perfect stranger standing next to you. What do you do? Do you keep quiet? No. You go, isn't that magnificent? You know, you just, you can't keep it in. You just want to share with them and say, whoa, that is fabulous. Look at that. Because you want to share the glory of that. Part of God's creation with another human being. Well, when you see the glory of God in Christ, it's just going to well up. And you want to share it with others. And Spurgeon goes on and says, if you're serving a tyrant, then warn others to avoid him. But if you're serving the gracious Lord, then let it spill out and make the knowledge of him known just want to close this message with seven, again, kind of bullet point, practical things you can do to grow in your knowledge of God. And they should be in the notes there. But first of all, if you've never done so, trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And then join the Apostle Paul in saying, My quest is to know Him and make Him known. In Philippians 3, Paul goes through all the accomplishments, the religious accomplishments he had as a Jew. And he says, I count them all rubbish so that I can gain Christ, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection. So there has to be that coming to a point where you say Christ is it, the world and its garbage, and my good works from, that I thought would get me into heaven. That goes, I trust now in Jesus alone. Then second, and and the aim, by the way, is not just to know about Christ, it's to know Him personally. And then secondly, spend time with God in His Word and in prayer. You know, you cannot have a healthy relationship with anyone if you don't spend time with that person. It just requires time. So make it your priority every day. Meet with the Lord some way. Third, read the entire Bible over and over. As I said, you can't just pick your favorite verses. You'll get an imbalanced view of God. You've got to read the whole thing. You say, man, the Old Testament's hard. Yeah, it is. Do what I've done. Buy a good study Bible. I have the ESV study Bible. I also own the MacArthur study Bible. I don't own, but I think it's good. The Reformation study Bible. There are others out there on the market It's a big, thick thing. I wouldn't carry it, you know, on a backpack trip. But um, it's got helpful notes. I'm currently in Revelation as well as in Exodus and in the Psalms. But um, I I open it up to say, what in the world does he say about Revelation chapter 8 or 9 or wherever I'm at? And that's a helpful way to read through the Bible. If you've never done it in a year, you can go online and type in, Bible reading plan, and um, you'll get about a thousand different ways you can read through the Bible in a calendar year. And if you've never done that, do that for a few years. Fourthly, grow in obedience to God, because as I pointed out, Jesus says he'll reveal himself to those who love and obey him. And that means applying God's word on the heart or thought level. Not just outwardly, putting on the good show for other Christians, but in your heart, judging your sin, trying to be holy before the Lord. Then, fifthly, this one might threaten you, but I think it's helpful. Read theologically sound books about God. If you've never read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, that is a good place to start. It is meaty. Uh, I remember when I read it, and it's on my list to read again when I retire and have time to read. Uh, But when I read it, I could only do a chapter at a time. Then I had to stop and chew on that. But it's good. A.W. Tozer has a little short book called Knowledge of the Holy that's deep and succinct. Um, A.W. Pink has a fairly short book on the attributes of God. Wayne Grudem has... A thicker book called Systematic Theology, but don't let the title scare you. Uh, He's good, he's readable. His aim in every chapter is worship and application. And so at the end of every chapter, he's got a song for you to sing, and he's got verse, uh, you know, application points. Um, I don't agree with all of Grudem, but he's good, he's solid overall. Uh, Here's a big challenge. Stephen Charnock, The Existence and Attributes of God. I say it's a challenge because it's two volumes. He's got like 150 pages on the goodness of God, just on that one topic. It's two volumes, and here's the hard part. It's written in Puritan English, Elizabethan English. Someone would do a favor to the body of Christ to take that book and write it in modern English. So we could all enjoy it. But um, that's a good one. And then, if you've never read it, every Christian should read R.C. Sproul on the holiness of God. That is just a profound book. And I believe you can get it on DVD even to watch his lectures. But read that. Sixth, listen to sound preachers who know and expound God's Word accurately. And you can get John Piper, John MacArthur... Mark Dever, the list goes on and on and on. Many who have already passed away and gone to be with the Lord, like James Boyce. Um, Boy, the internet can be a blessing. And then, finally, spend time with fellow believers who know God, because we need each other. The body is not one member, but many. And sometimes a brother in Christ, sister in Christ will have an insight that you go, whoa, I never saw that. And we build up one another. So my prayer is that the Lord will help you to know Him and to make Him known. Let me pray. Dear Lord, I pray if any are here without the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their own Savior and Lord, you would end their darkness, shine in with your light, help them to see the glory of the good news, of the... Of the the glory of Jesus Christ. That they might be saved. And Lord help all of us. To make it our one aim in life. To know you. And then let that spill over from us. To those around us in darkness. That they too might enjoy the beauty. that uh, That is you. And we ask it that You would be glorified in and through us. In Jesus' name, Amen.